0: As you all know, we've had a big, big week, two grandbabies born in about a uh, period of seven days. So appreciate James and Ken being able to uh, fill in for me just in case. When we left, we had no idea how long Abby would be in the hospital, but God was gracious. And she came home Friday night, so Rachel and I were able to come home yesterday. And uh, But Rachel, every time I take her up north, she, she, she must be allergic to the north. She gets sick every time we go north, so she's not feeling good. So. I'll pray for her, but uh thank you for your prayers and your support this week as we've uh welcomed another grandbaby into the world. And uh, and so uh just excited and good to to be with y'all this morning. And I have neglected to mention the last few weeks, this is uh we are approaching Easter Sunday and as Southern Baptists part of what we do and who we are as Southern Baptists is uh we're missionary people and we believe in uh taking the gospel and in easter springtime we focus on north american missions and so there are annie armstrong offerings there at the back uh, for our our easter offering annie armstrong offering for north american missions here in the united states and canada certainly a a great mission field now so we we encourage you to take advantage of that Um, we have also just to update you we we we've started the work renovating our bathroom my mother's we we're hoping to welcome my mother into our home um, on the about the 23rd of April, 22nd, 23rd of April. The renovation downstairs is uh, started while we were gone. <laughs> a lot of things, uh, uh, but uh, so be praying, be praying about that as well. And then that'll be a situation where Rachel and I will have to you know, work our schedules so that we're 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 home. So uh, so it'll be a life changing event for us for now. So. Uh, um appreciate your prayers uh and that as well she's just declined a lot that she she just needs total care and so uh uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some support and and do that and welcome her hopefully we'll be able to have her in our home Uh, but we'll see but are there other prayer needs prayer concerns yes ma'am
1: Again, Mike. He's he's doing good. He's um <clears throat> he's slow. Hmm. Uh, they're getting out and walking every day, so on, so that's that's been a big plus. They're big outdoor workers, but as
0: far as getting out and walking, they hadn't been, but they are now. So he's he's progressing, but it's it's slow. Okay. And Mike thank you also to for the prayers for him too. All right. Any others? Any other prayer needs, prayer concerns this week? All right. If not, let's let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord God, we're so thankful, so grateful for this opportunity to gather together as a community of grace, Lord, and uh, we're just thankful for your 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 kindness toward us in Christ Jesus and calling us to yourself and then calling us to one another lord and we're thankful that we can come together and uh, share our needs and concerns lord and we're just thankful for the new babies thankful for beth and for abigail and their their new sons and welcoming them to their homes lord we're thankful for your gracious provision uh, 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 through their pregnancies and through the birth and now the integration and discovering their new normal lord we just pray you bless those families as they as they they serve you and as they grow together and and lord we're just again thankful for the gift of new life and how that encourages us and what we see in the word that uh so many times and the way you worked was bringing bringing a new life into the world and uh and and we're just we pray for those those boys and for the rest of uh the children lord that you would be pleased to draw them to yourself and grant them the gift of eternal life when they're old enough to uh understand their sinfulness and their need for a savior lord we ask that you even begin now to uh, prepare uh, to draw them to yourself and grant them eternal life lord we do pray for our nation we pray for those in authority over us lord we pray that you would uh, protect our our leaders protect our our president and other authorities lord and that you would draw them to yourself and grant them repentance of faith and fill them with your wisdom and your kindness and your grace lord we pray that you would uh, bring conversion to those in authority over us and that they would uh, uh, seek your wisdom and be filled with your spirit and lead in truth. And Lord, we do pray for these needs that we've mentioned. We're thankful for your grace and for your healing in the life of Tiffany and Mike. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to work in, in a way in their lives in a way that would show your glory and your your power and that uh, you would grant them just full, complete, totally healing and recovery and sufficient grace through through the trial and through the struggle and what we do pray for uh, my family as we begin the process to welcome my mom into our home and we pray for her conversion that you would be pleased to use this maybe to draw her to yourself lord and that you would give us the strength and the perseverance and the and the, the resources and the grace to be able to provide the care that she will need and lord help us as we we make adjustments in our, our lifestyle to uh, to provide for her and to to comfort her, Lord, and just help us as we as we seek to honor honor her in this season of her life, and and uh, we we pray for strength and perseverance. Lord, we're thankful again for your grace toward us in Christ Jesus, and uh, uh, Lord, we pray that you would be pleased with the offer or the worship that we offer you this day. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. our call to worship this morning is going to come from Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 and this is 800 years before the birth of Jesus but this is also a text that Jesus in a first sermon that's recorded that he preaches in his hometown he's handed this text and he reads it and he tells the people that uh, this text is fulfilled in their hearing and so this passage speaks of the work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James is going to come and uh, a little bit later and talk to us about the uh, new life that is available uh, through faith in Christ by God's grace. And so in Isaiah chapter 61, the text that Jesus would read and say is fulfilled, uh, the word of the Lord it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal The brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's pray together. Lord God, we have come together this morning to worship you and to, uh, to give praise and honor to the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rested and remained and empowered him for ministry. And then, Lord, we, thank, we praise Jesus who, who was tempted in every way that we are, who shared in our weakness and then died on the cross to satisfy your wrath against all who will come to you in repentance and faith. And Lord, we're thankful for his glorious resurrection. And we're thankful for the message of good news to the poor. We're thankful for the the message of healing to the brokenhearted. Lord, we're thankful for the message of liberty to captives. And Lord, we pray that we would experience your comfort, that we would be consoled, Lord, that we would be anointed with the oil of gladness. And Lord, that we would be your planting oaks of righteousness that display your glory. And so Lord, we're thankful for the gracious gift of salvation, but it's by grace through faith. And then we're also thankful that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works that you ordained in which we should walk. And and Lord, the best work that we can offer is the work of worship. And we pray that your spirit today would empower us to worship you in spirit and truth and to be oaks of righteousness for the display of your glory. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, brother, King, come with us. All
1: right, y'all going. Well, good morning, everyone. Do I have this, do, do I have it on? Can you hear me outside of just my normal voice? It looks like I don't keep cutting it off when I try to put it back in my pocket. Um, well, good morning, everyone. I'm um, excited to be here this morning, obviously. Um, I was not expecting Mark to be here, uh, but I'm thankful that he is able to worship with us and that we get to celebrate together the birth of two grandkids. Uh, both coincidentally boys, uh, which is interesting, Um, but I guess it works out well for you guys because then, you know, you can buy the same gifts and nobody can um, be mad one way or the other, right? Um, But this morning, I I am thankful to be back. I got the opportunity to preach to you guys, I guess, about a month, month and a half ago, give or take, Um, and when I was here then, really looked at the crucifixion of Christ and really John's account and how it differed and the importance of the differences um, and how it impacted us. And that sermon was very interesting because I had about five points, which is very uncommon, un, um, not only for myself, but most preachers. And then as I was um, reading over this prior to starting this morning, um, I realized that once again, I have five more points. And so um, I want you to know that that is not common, um, and specifically for me. Um, But this morning, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, and um, we're going to use an analogy later uh, that is so relevant to the last song we sing, uh, really the idea of God lifting us from the sea. And so, love God's providence there, as we kind of sung that already, uh, as I explain what Christ did for us, we're going to look at that analogy even further. But Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 2. Before I get there, uh, I really just want to have an introduction, uh, based out of the book of John. Now, you are welcome to turn with me, uh, but I'm just going to read these two narratives together. Um, and it's going to be in John chapter 11. What I'm going to do is look at 11 through 15, and then I'm going to look at 38 through 44. And the reason why I want to look at this is these two things go together. Um, but for the sake of time, I don't want to read all, um, 34 verses, 33 verses. And so I want to read them because I think this is going to be helpful for us as we look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says this. Uh, this is John 11, eleven I'm going to read through 15. And then after I read 15, I'm going to jump all the way to verse 38. Okay. It says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken in him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was rest in sleep. And Jesus told him, them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there would have been an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. I was listening to uh, the late R.C. Sproul preach on these set of verses one time. Uh, And he says, the King James, and he's being uh, humorous here. The King James essentially says at the end of this story uh, in verse 39, when Martha talks to Jesus, that she is essentially saying that he shall stinketh. Um, that he has been dead for four days, so he would now have an odor. He would smell. Their death process was different than ours. They would wrap them with different incenses and perfumes, lay the body in this tomb, cover it with a rock. Um, there was no embodiment or any of that. It was just really just it would smell terribly. But see, that's not what's important about this story. What's important about this story is that 11 through 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples, the ones that we would presume to have it all figured out, to understand what was going on by the language in which Christ was using. But they didn't. Jesus says that he has fallen asleep, which was a common way of saying this in scripture, uh, that that Lazarus has fallen asleep and they're going to go and he's going to wake him. They didn't understand. And so Jesus says plainly that he's dead. Uh, they didn't understand the first time, and then he was pretty cut and dry and just told him exactly what was going on, that Lazarus has died, and we're going to go, and I'm going to wake him, but th- that's not all he says. What he says after that is so significant, and he says this again in the latter part of verse 42 and 43, he says, for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. See, prior to this, the sisters of Lazarus has already came to Jesus and asked for his help. But Jesus, understanding what was about to unfold, waits where he was and then goes to Lazarus. And what he's saying here is that Lazarus died, not out of my neglect, but out of the glory of God to be lifted high. That Lazarus died for the purposes of the Father, so that I would lift him up. And it's good for you that he has died, so that you will believe But that's not his only intent. His other intent is that those that would be outside of the tomb would also believe. Look at verse, uh, if you're following along with me, um, he prays to God in verse 41. And he says, you know, take away the stone. They take it away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard. I know that you have always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around me so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus praised his prayer out loud, not to be boastful, but so the people would understand that what he was about to do was a work of God. What he was about to accomplish was the only way that it could be accomplished was in Christ, in him, but that he was from God himself. And so what we see in this, and normally I would have asked you already kind of what you thought the most amazing and miraculous miracle or sign or wonder we see in the life of Christ. But we would all probably come to this conclusion that though Jesus healed the blind that was born blind, though Jesus healed the lame man, though Jesus cast out demons and does these amazing wonders, we all land here most of the time because this is the pinnacle of Christ's ministry in the book of John. This is where it begins to go back down here in his death, downhill in his death and burial and resurrection is about to unfold because this is miraculous that Christ is has the power over someone that has been dead physically for four days and says Lazarus come out and Lazarus has no choice but to hop out of that grave. See, this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10, through we're going to see something very, very similar. The only difference between the story of Lazarus and our story is that Lazarus' death was physical, but our death was spiritual. And so, as we look at this together, what we're going to see is these five things. Our origin story, our deliverance story, our motivation, our calling, and our dependence. And I'm going to name those in just a little bit as we walk through them together. But before I get into Ephesians and we read it together, I want to pray for us, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for just the story of Lazarus. Father, because I'm confident that as Paul was pinning the words in Ephesians chapter 2, his mind would have either went here, Or his mind would have went in other places in the Old Testament where you used your men, your prophets, to raise the dead. Father, because the physical death, the physical resurrection of a physical death, Father, is something you only have power over. And God, it is no different than the spiritual life. God, you're the only one, as we just sung together as a congregation, God, you're the only one, that is able to save us, to lift us up, that at your word and your speech, the sea has to give. So Father, let us understand not only our salvation better this morning, but let us understand that it is now our motivation to do a work that we trust that you are going to complete in our lives and in the lives of those that we are reaching out to with your gospel. Thank you for that. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it all in this together and then we'll look at them separately. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, With him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This morning, maybe your Bibles are much like mine and you can just look right over, but if not, turn with me to chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm reading this because we're not walking through Ephesians as a congregation, so it's important to know the context in which Paul is writing. Paul is the one writing to these group of people, he's writing to what? The saints. Who are in Ephesus? Now this is a different way of communication, like when I come here this morning, I didn't greet you guys as the saints at community of grace uh, in Aberdeen. No, it's just believers or followers of Christ. But what Paul is essentially saying in his introduction here is that he is writing to the believers that are in Ephesus, that are making up this church. And what I want us to understand about that as we go into this text is that Paul is not writing to unbelievers. Paul is not writing to those who have not trusted in Christ. Paul is writing to those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And so in verse 2, in chapter 2, he says, and you were. So when he's saying, and you were, he is having this understanding that he's writing to Christians. Why I want to say that is though um, I would naturally assume that most of you guys, if not all of you, would be the same. But I don't know your heart. I don't know your soul. I don't know your life. So I can't assume that completely. So what I want to be clear in this is that when I refer to being raised in Christ or anything of that nature, what I'm talking about is those who have been truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit to believe in Christ. My prayer would be that is you, and if it is not you, that God would make that clear through the preaching and teaching of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Okay? And so let's get into it. Uh, The first thing that we see is our origin story. As we just said, he's talking to believers. And in the first part of this, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. We're going to see our origin in 1 through 3, where it says. uh, the first thing I want to see is though we've already talked about this word. We see most of the words here are past tense. And so he's talking about what they once were, how they once lived, how they once acted, how they once communicated and responded to those around them. He's talking about their past, their origin. And the reason why it's their origin, as we're going to get at it in a moment, is that everyone is born with dep- total depravity. Everybody is born with sin. Everybody is born into sin, and so therefore, leaning that way. We're not people that sin, we're a bunch of sinners that sin, okay? We're not just individuals that fall into sin, but rather we are people that to the core of who we are, we are sinful. This is why when David speaks of it in the Psalms, he says, In my mother's iniquity I was born, I was conceived. It's not that his, his mother wasn't married or out of wedlock, but rather, even in the womb... He was a person of sin. But the word dead here is so important. And I I, I like a little bit of participation sometimes. And so if you're comfortable, uh, I would like your help in answering this. Is what can dead people do? Not a single thing. Can't twitch, can't move, can't walk. Lazarus, the only reason he hopped out of the grave is the one who gave him the command to come out. It wasn't anything in Lazarus to make him hop out of the grave. It was only in the ones whose words said, Lazarus, come out. In Ephesians, it's no different. The word dead here, it's not this fancy Greek word that means something else. It means dead. And so, the issue though, that often when we see this analogy of dead or even our salvation, it's much like that second song, and we compare it to like sinking in in sand, sinking in the ocean. And I'm I'm not disagreeing with the song because the song is fantastic, um, but there is often this this analogy of how God saves us, and there's even like a more modern song that's come out that's kind of gave this depiction, uh, and there was an evangelist in America that gave this depiction quite often. Um, But often we see that this analogy of sin and and coming to Christ and salvation is like someone drowning in the ocean. That they're drowning, they're screaming out, they're yelling out, they need help, they need assistance. Even so, that, that Christ simply just throws this buoy to them and they grab it and then Christ pulls them in. But we have to grab it. It's kind of this analogy that's been used for centuries in America. That's not how God saves us. See, rather, we're dead in the bottom of the ocean. That's what he means here dead, right? So we're dead, lifeless without breath in us at the bottom of the ocean. And Christ doesn't throw a buoy to us to save us, but rather he took off his heavenly flesh, dives into the sinful nature of humanity, and he goes to the bottom of the sea. He grabs us, he takes us out, he puts us on new land, and he breathes new life into us. He takes what was once dead and he gives it new life. He didn't take something that was almost dead, that was about to be dead, or something that was almost possibly going to be dead, and give it new life. He took something that was completely dead and did something in us that we could not do. See, that is our origin, is that we were dead in our sins, and as we sang together in um, Love Lifted Me, if nothing else would do, nothing, not a single thing would do, but what Christ did for us. We're going to look at the love aspect in just a moment. He goes on, and he uses this words that you once walked." But he goes on and it says, "Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power, the spirit that now is working, the sons of disobedience, whom we all once lived." He uses this word "walked and lived," because what he's saying here is that we're sinful. It wasn't something that we just stumbled into. It wasn't something that we just did. It wasn't something that, that we just happened to fall into or we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But all of us, before Christ redeemed and saved us, if you have been, all of us lived and walked in sin. It was something that we made a practice. It was the core of who we are. And that's what Paul is making clear to the church of Ephesus. is that this is who you were. You wasn't somebody that was somewhat good, so God saw something good in you to save you. No, you were just totally, totally in sin, and you walked and lived in it, and you made a practice of it. And because of that, you were deserving the wrath of God. In verse 4, we're going to see this word, but, come up. But he's laying out the reality of the bad news part of the gospel. That we were dead in our sins, deserving the wrath of God. That is our origin. But he goes on, he says, like the rest of mankind. That's how he ends verse 3. Like the rest of mankind. See, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is referring to what we would refer to as original sin. Is that because Adam sinned being the, 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 the forefather to all of creation. Because Adam sinned. Now sin has entered the entire world. So everyone then born after him has also sinned because of a sin nature that they have. But also because they truly freely pick to do sin. So they're personally accountable but it's also their bent. That's what they're leaning towards naturally. And so what Paul is getting at with this rest of mankind is that you are just like everyone else that has ever lived. You lived and walked in sin. And unless Christ has intervened for you, as we're about to see, then you lived in sin. See, this is our origin. And why this is important to remember is our origin. It's because too often church people, Christians, believers, or saints, as Paul would say here, tend to forget how they once lived. And when we forget how we once lived, we begin to expect something different from people that do not know Jesus. We begin to expect something different from new believers in Christ that are being discipled by the Word of God. And so when the world does not like Jesus or the world goes against Christ, it should not shock us by any nature. But rather, it should be something that we truly expect to happen. So the first thing we see in verses 1 through 3 is our origin, but thank God it does not stop there. Because if it stopped with our origin, we would still be dead at the bottom of the sea. Verses 4 through 7 does tell us something of good news, and that is our deliverance. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love. That's the love we sing about together, right? Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us up uh, with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us and Christ Jesus. As we look at our deliverance, Paul begins with this word, but, B-U-T. Um, many have argued that it's the most powerful word in the English language because the word but Everything that comes before the word but is destroyed or made worse by what comes after. Greg Gilbert wrote this book called What is the Gospel? Fantastic little book lays out this foundation of the gospel as God, man, Christ response. It's what I use personally to walk new believers or even believers that have never been discipled, uh, through, and very first and foremost, so that the gospel is clear, um, so that there is, they can ensure that they know Jesus as they ought to. And it's just not a an emotional or, um, experience that they encountered at some point in their life, but they really know Jesus. But in his book, he, he claims the same thing. He says, "but, BUT, must be the most powerful word in the human being can speak. It's small, but it has the power to sweep away everything that has gone before it, coming after bad news like we just heard. It has the power to life uh, the eyes and lift the eyes and restore hope. And he gave some examples. Uh, he, these are his examples not my examples. He says, "The plane went down. But no one was hurt. You have cancer. But it's easily treatable. Your son was in a car wreck. But he's fine. See the word but. sweeps away everything that comes before it. It can take something that is ter- terrible. And horrific. And make it into something good. And that's what Paul is doing here. He gives us this bad news that our origin is that we're sinful, depraved individuals that cannot save ourselves, that we're dead in the bottom of the sea. There's no hope for us. There's no joy for us. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are doomed to hell forever and evermore because of God's wrath. But Paul doesn't end there. See, in chapter 4, he says, but God. But God... Rich and what? Mercy. Mercy is one of those words that, to me, are hard to define because we can use mercy in a lot of ways. I can show mercy to my kids when they do something small of disobedience. I can show mercy to the individual that cuts me off in traffic. I can show mercy, to, in my mind, to the terrorist that did this horrific act. Mercy is its all this hard thing to see and understand. But for us to really understand the mercy that God bestowed, I think it's helpful to look at John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.14. See, 1.1 1, 1 says, And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the mercy of God is not like me forgiving or not using some form of sign language to those in traffic that cut me off or to honk the horn. Mercy is not, the mercy of God is not this small thing that we do to make ourselves feel good about a circumstance. The mercy of God was that he would take and he would step down to the level of the treacherous sinners that rebelled against him. And he would go to the death of their living and he would take on their flesh and he would live the life that they could not live by being perfect. This is the mercy of God. That Christ would step off of the throne and come down to save us is pure mercy. See, this isn't like a president showing up during a natural disaster and flying over the scene in a helicopter. This was the savior of The one that truly sits on the throne of God. Stepping out of heaven. Perfect unification with the Father and the Spirit forever and ever. Stepping off of a perfect throne. One with no error or no problem. Into a life that would be full of pain and sorrow. Even to the point as we looked at last time I preached. There's this weird moment in which the Father pours out his wrath on his Son. This is mercy. That God himself would take on flesh. Undeserving individuals would be represented by the righteous son. He goes on and he says, "Great love Now we sing about this, so I was going to read John three sixteen and through eighteen, and we all know those verses well, but we sing about it we 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 come together, and i I love it. I know you guys. Uh, Probably wish you had someone playing this nice uh, piano over here or had somebody playing a guitar or something of that nature week in and week out. But I I really enjoyed hearing you guys because I could hear you sing. I don't know who was singing, so um, it's not a negative thing, but it's just I could hear you sing. Um, And so as I was sitting over here and spending much time in prayer, but also worship, I was encouraged by hearing the saints sing together of the great love that lifted them especially knowing what we were about to address in Ephesians chapter two. So I knew a little bit more than you did as I was singing, but I'm reminded much of the love that God has bestowed upon us that he would lift us up. And that's what he says here, right? That he lifted us up and he seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what we sing about together, but he uses the word dead here. Uh, and I think this is just a reminder. Uh, because the readers um, uh, that Paul was writing to in the Church of Ephesus are no different than us. They're very forgetful. Uh, and so I think it was important to just, just remind the people, once again, you were dead. You were dead. You were dead. No hope, no hope, no hope. You were dead in your sin. And this is what God did for you from mercy and great love, okay? But he says, raise us up with him. There's two things going on here. Um, he says, raises us up in him. Raise us up in him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 says having been pure, uh, buried with him in baptism in which you will also raise with him through faith in the power full working of God who raised him from the dead. See now because of Christ Jesus but God because of Christ we were dead in our sins and now just as Christ rose from the dead just like Christ rose Lazarus from the dead we will now be raised with Christ Jesus forever and evermore. It's like that last verse we sing, until Christ I see. We will have this hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. So our origin is essentially that we were dead in our sins. Our deliverance is that Christ has delivered us from our sins. The third thing we're going to see is our motivation. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a results result of works, so that no one may boast. See, we, we've seen both the good and the bad news of the gospel, right? The bad news was you're deserving of wrath. The good news is but God. But now we see our motivation because it's almost as if Paul is repeating himself to the congregation. But this is really should be our motivation. And what I mean by that is we've seen the good news, right? We've seen the bad news. We've seen the good news that God has saved us. But he didn't save us to just be uh, people that sit in pews and go home. He didn't save us so that we could just live a lifeless or an effective a life without a th- effect and just impact on the world around us. He saved us for a purpose and a reason. Just like Lazarus, right? The story of Lazarus. Why did Christ not go immediately to save his friend that was dying? Why did Jesus pray out loud and just, said of, and just said of just praying internally around those people? He didn't, and he told us why. The reason was so that those around him may believe in him, and by putting their faith and trust in him, that they would know that he is the Son of God. See, you and I are no different. We're not raised from life, from death into life, just to be zombies walking around or just to be new people in Christ walking around, but we're raised from death to life for God's purposes. So that through knowing how we once lived in our sinful world, and to now how we live in Christ Jesus, it would bring Him glory, honor, and praise, and that we would be people of proclaiming the gospel and by making disciples, by baptizing and teaching those to follow Christ. We're not saved to be inactive. But what I want us to be clear about is that we're not active to be saved. And that's what we see here. It says, for by grace you have been saved. It was nothing of our own doing, but rather it's a gift from God. See, there's nothing in us. Remember, we're, we're not drowning in the ocean, we're dead at the bottom of the ocean. There's nothing in us that deserved us being saved, there's nothing in us that would earn us being saved. You can't work enough to be saved. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't come to this church enough. You can't get on enough Zoom calls on Sunday evenings. You can't meet together enough on Wednesday nights. You can't share the gospel enough. You can't give enough to the poor. You can't take care of enough, enough orphans or widows to be saved. There's nothing in us deserving of God's grace and mercy. There is no good work that would cause God to look at you and say, now you're finally good enough. You can come on in. There's nothing We're not working from a place of seeking salvation, but we're working from a place of being saved. That's what I think Paul is unfolding here, is that this is now our motivation. Our motivation isn't to be saved, but because Christ has saved us. When we truly understand where we were before Christ and what Christ has done for us, it should cause nothing in us but joy and just happiness and a desire to bring God glory in everything that we do. Because when we realize that we were sinful, deserving of the wrath of God, and we could not save ourselves, but God being great in mercy and love, sends His Son into the world to die for us so that we can put our faith and trust in Him and nothing else, and that we're magically saved, that we get to spend an eternity with our Heavenly Father forever and evermore, it should lead us to a place of worship. Not worship that we did prior or that we're doing now by hearing the Word being preached, but worship in our lives by serving Him. And I think how we see that to be clear um is when i give my kids a gift Tanaya and lottie lottie's the little one that keeps screaming she has to go to the bathroom potty training is fun okay um some of you it's not been that long ago and some of you it has potty training is not fun at all um we long for a day to where she can go to the bathroom by herself though right um but when I their birthday was just a few weeks back. When I give them a birthday gift, we gave Tanaya a watch and gave Lottie a kitchen cook set thing for babies, right? When I give them these gifts, I don't say, now it's time to work for it. Now it's time to earn that gift. No, it doesn't work that way. Same thing when I give a gift to anyone in this life. It's kind of like, have y'all seen the commercials on TV where around Christmas time, this husband or this wife shows up with this brand new Lexus or something at the front door and they give their spouse this car. That's not a gift. You got to pay for that thing every month, right? We're no good in well These people ain't got the money to pay cash for that car, right? Uh, that's not a gift, right? That's me and my wife joke about it quite often. See, what Paul means here, he's not talking about that Lexus or that Toyota or whatever the case may be. He's talking about something that God gave them that not only do they not have to work for, but they couldn't work for. So this is our motivation. God saved us. So now we desire to work for Him. That's what James gets at. Faith without works is dead. Not because the works save us, because if we have been saved by Christ, then there will be works that accompany it. The next thing we see is what are these works? I think this is what uh, we should look at together a little more detail is what is our works what is our calling uh in verse chapter verse 10 the first part of that says for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works so the created in christ jesus meaning being saved in christ jesus because we have been saved in christ jesus we are his workmanship we are the ones in which christ is working on developing uh, just teaching why for his good works what are those good works? What is our calling then? Uh, now this is extra. This isn't found in Ephesians chapter two, one through ten. There's really um, three things that really come to my mind when I think of the calling of the believer. Now, plain and simple, I could just say your calling as a believer is to give God, bring God glory in all that you do, eating or drinking, right? And that would fulfill all of this. That is our calling. But I think there is moments in Scripture where Christ or His disciples were very clear on what our calling is. The first one um and these are some scriptures I'm going to read so maybe you don't want to follow with me there Matthew 22:27 and 28 says and he said to them you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and the this is the first great and first commandment See the first thing we do as believers is love God with all that we do that is our calling, to uh, and this is a funny way of saying it, but to minister to God, to love him, to worship him, to bring him glory in everything that we do, and that's what we do as believers, right? The way we really love and glorify God is seeking his glory in everything that we do. That's First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 would tell us, eating or drinking, glorifying God, and everything we do, bringing him glory. But I'm not preaching to individuals, I'm preaching to a church. So the question then would be, is how do you as a church love God? I think that's exactly what we're doing now. Gathered on the Lord's day for the purpose of praising him and building up the body of believers. What we're doing now, you may not think of it this way, but what we're doing now is attempting as a congregation to love God with all that we are. This time that we set aside week in and week out to praise his name through the prayer, reading scripture, the preaching of God's word, singing of his word, the hearing of his word being preached. That right there is bringing God glory in all that we're doing as a church. But there's another way that the church can gather um, and what they're called to do isn't just to minister to God by loving God, but also to minister with one another. This is your calling. As a church, according to John 13, 35, this is very interesting, really talking to the disciples, but I don't think it's that far of a leap to bring it to ourselves. Uh, John thirteen thirty five says, By this all people will know that you are my disciple, if you have love for one another. That by your love for each other, people will know that Community of Grace Baptist is a church of love. We've all been a part of churches, I say we are, I don't know your life, but uh, I know I certainly have. But we've been a part of churches that aren't known for love. And to our surprise, we probably stayed there longer than we should have. See, the reality is nobody wants to be a part of a church that is known for backbiting and bickering and fighting and arguing and not loving one another. Scripture is clear in about 31 places that we're supposed to do these one another things. Some of them consist of serving one another, carrying each other's burdens, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, praying with one another. There's plenty of them. There's a bunch of them. I think you've... Did you preach through them here or was that somewhere else? Uh, So you know them to some extent. It's probably been a long time ago, 31 of them, so it's been at least 31 weeks ago when you started. but that's what you're called to do as a body of believers together. The third thing is, though, ministering to the world around you by loving your neighbor. The latter part of that first thing we read, but Matthew 22:39, And the second is like it, that you love your neighbors yourself. Really, I think there's two ways we have to do this. We can separate the first one from the second one, but we cannot separate the second one from the first one, okay? What I mean by that is the first thing we're called to do is make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. To go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Your, that is your calling. Your calling is to be people that proclaim the gospel and make disciples. It doesn't matter if you're six or seven or if you're 96 or 97. I don't think there's anybody 96 or 97 here, but I just want to cover my bases, right? Um, I know there's somebody seven, so I, I'm good there. It doesn't matter how old you are or how old you're not. It doesn't matter how young, old. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter if you get out of the house regularly. It doesn't matter if your job consumes you and you don't know how to. You're called to proclaim the gospel. But believers are called to do more than that. And the way we can kind of all consum- just really put this together is say in mercy ministry. We're called to take care of the orphans, and the widows, which really would be the way of just saying that very simply, taking care of those in need. Those who can't take care of themselves. You're called to reach out to those around us. And we definitely see this in the life of Christ. We see this in the life of Christ with Lazarus, right? That Christ would go around. He would heal the blind. He would heal the lame. He would raise people from the dead. He would cast out demons. He would feed the hungry. Christ definitely uh, just shows us an example of mercy ministry. But if we separate proclaiming the gospel from mercy ministry, then we're no different than any other humane society in this world. We're called to be people that minister to the world around us by meeting their needs. And the greatest need of all is their salvation in Christ Jesus. They're dead in sin. So you can give them a blanket and make them warm, but if you don't give them a news of the gospel to save their soul, then you haven't really met their need yet the last thing I want to see is our dependence. So we've seen our motivation. We've seen our calling. And now, in that same light, what is our dependence? Look at the last part of verse 10 with me. It says, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know when you read or you hear something and you just have a sigh of relief like, all burdens and struggles taken off your shoulder. Probably much like when I talked to Mark this week. and um, who, Who's the gentleman that led this morning? What was your name? The worship? Huh? Ken? Um, Ken? Probably much like Mark felt whenever he had spoken to me about preaching and you about leading the worship. He felt, probably felt a sigh of relief that If they weren't able to be here to be with their grandchildren and children that you guys would have something provided for you, sigh of relief. Kind of feel that way in a lot of things in life. When you read this verse, I pray that that's what it is for you. Let's read it again. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This isn't a verse of burden, but this is a verse of relief. Because let's check out the language here, which God prepared beforehand. So what he's saying here is that before we walk in the good works, before we do the good works, before we fulfill the good works, before we act in the good works, what has God done? He's prepared them for us. He's set them aside for us, meaning that God is setting up opportunities for us as believers to share His good news, to love one another, and to minister to those around us. That God has given us these opportunities to do what He has called us to do. So it's not something that we have to go out and search for. It's something that happens relationally. It's something that happens organically quite often. But more than that, He says that we should walk in them. See, Let's go back to the first part. We were what? Dead in our sins. And we could not do anything to save ourselves. And if we couldn't do anything to save ourselves, follow this conclusion with me. Can those that we share the gospel with do anything to save themselves? No. But even more importantly for us as believers, if I couldn't save myself, and they can't save themselves, Can I save them? No. We should be prepared to do the work of God. We should take it seriously. We should study. We should pour into uh, the, the Word of God and in prayer so that we're at a place where we can do what God has called us to do by all means. But when I share the gospel with somebody and they don't come to faith in Christ Jesus, there was nothing I could have done more or nothing I could have done less to save them. You want to know how I know that to be true? Look at John with me. And this is how I'm going to end this morning. Look at John with me. We're going to look at John 11. 45 and 46 is right after the verses we read this morning. Jesus, remember what goes on here. Jesus literally raises a man that had been dead for four days. The people outside of the tomb were those who knew this man. They were gathered in the house weeping over the death of Lazarus. 45 and 46 is the narrative of what's going on. It says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, and they have seen he, what he did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Jesus physically raises his man that has been dead for four days. He is clear why he does it. There's some that believe, and there's some that don't. I don't know about you guys, but the one that spoke everything into life, and preach much better than I or Mark could ever do. He could do signs and wonders and miraculous things that none of us could ever even imagine doing. And even when he does both of those things, people still do not believe. When we proclaim the gospel, meet the needs of those around us, it is not our responsibility to save anyone. We just simply walk in the works in which God prepared for us beforehand. So this morning, I want us to walk away encouraged because this set of scripture is written to a group of believers and he's reminding them of their origin. He's declaring to them the deliverance from their issue and in that, they're trying. he's trying to motivate them to do what they are being called to do and as they work towards this, as they do what God is calling them to do, that they would just simply rest in Christ to be the one that fulfills it. This morning, I don't have this spiffy way of you applying that to your life, but to simply understand that you were a sinner, that God saved you when you were dead in your sin, undeserving of it. And because of that, we now seek to serve Him. We seek to serve Him from a place of deliverance, not a place of works, to be delivered, that we understand our calling, and then that we would go and do it. And while we do it, we would trust in God through Christ, by the Word, people would put their faith in Him alone. And as we do that, God receives the glory alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for what it means to us. God, my prayer is this morning, as we've looked at Ephesians, we'd be encouraged by the salvation that we have found in you. And not only be encouraged by it, but Father, we would it would lead us to a place of servanthood. It would lead us to a place of worship, not a place of regret or doubt or even burden. But Father, as we serve you, we would trust in you to save our friends Save our family members. Or Father, even as we saw an example in the pastor's life, God, that we would pray for the salvation of those who were just born. Father, because our salvation is not based on ourselves, and neither is the salvation of anyone we know. But Father, purely on the work of Christ in their life. So for those that have burdened us down, those who we love, that we just cry out to you, To save, Father, if it be your will, bring them to yourself. Redeem and save them. But Father, use your children here today to be instruments of your grace and mercy to them. We love you and we thank you in your son's holy name. Amen.